evolution. Evolution. What evolution is, is the slow conquest of dimensions. Music has always been the way in. House music. House music. Seizing the reality studio. Psychedelic Sundays with me, your host, Satori D. Now I got my boy Terrence McKenna in the house. So Terrence, tell me a little bit about psychedelic mushrooms. Mushrooms are my thing. I mean, that's they enlightened me, they straightened me out, they loved me. They enlightened me, they straightened me out, they loved me. But, but the way to do mushrooms is the very first move, if you're interested in mushrooms, is for God's sake, buy a scale by a scale. I mean, you wouldn't think that this would be considered such an exotic suggestion to people who are going to put their bodies and minds on the line, because people don't take enough. People do not take enough mushrooms. They take pissant amounts, and then they claim that they're initiates. You must take a measured five dried grams on an empty stomach measured 
And when you see what that is, you'll realize that, you know, you weren't even camped in the atrium. You were camped in the driveway. Uh That's fascinating. Please, tell me some more. Uh, mushrooms to my, in some ways, I mean, DMT is the most terrifying and astonishing thing in the universe. But it's very hard to know what to do with it. Uh, psilocybin is your friend. It wants to teach. It will take you by the hand and forgive you and lead you and be with you. And uh, it speaks. This is the amazing thing. And you're hearing this from, you know, somebody who graduated from Heidegger and F.H. Bradley. It speaks. No other psychedelic does that, in my experience. Occasionally, a phrase will pop into your head on another substance that is like a gift, an aphorism. But I mean, psilocybin raves. It raves. And it has position. I mean, you may not like psilocybin as a person because it is not it, the astonishing thing about the psilocybin entity to my mind and I get good confirmation of this is it is not very earthly I mean it wants to show you machines the size of Manhattan in orbit around alien stars it wants to talk about the sweep through of the da 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 da, da which happened before the earth cooled and it, you know, has seen the empires of the Rull out at the rim and all the rest of it. And it's very puzzling, this cosmic galactarian tone. Whoa, we're getting a little too crazy here. But this is Psychedelic Sundays. When the going gets weird, the weird turns pro. So what's up, everybody? So this is a little idea that I had. Um, Michael could attest to this. Um, but I've always kind of had this idea ever since um, Born Free Day Angel said about having different days and different themes and kind of like building this Mayan culture um, where we had like Typing Tuesdays. And I think the other one was the No Mean. Mondays. It didn't really take off, but I always had this in the back of my mind. Psychedelic Sundays. So, I did a little test run. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it every Sunday, a show like this, but um, I want to show you guys like the possibilities. And also, too, um, what we can do, because this is just me doing it, but as a collective, what we could do with the Minds panel show. Um, not only just discuss things, but also, you know, get really creative, get really into it. So let's get back to the show. All of the technologies that we think of as the modern uh, internet and the personal computers were really created uh, first, uh, in, a, in an area around Stanford University between 1960 and 1975, at the same time that there was both um, a vibrant counterculture 
uh, and ideas about uh, augmenting human intelligence, augmenting the human mind, were being pursued both by the technologists and they were sort of alive in a lot of the counterculture community that was, that was uh, taking place around Stanford. The technology didn't emerge in the vacuum. Technology is actually mediated by things that are going on in society, whether they be politics or economics or, or culture. In 1965, 1966, there were two men on either side of the Stanford campus. One was John McCarthy and one was Doug Engelbart. McCarthy was leading a research group that wanted to replace the human mind. Uh, he was uh, exploring these technologies called artificial intelligence. And artificial intelligence at that time, the researchers thought that they could create a computerized artificial intelligence in a decade. On the other side of the campus, Engelbart was, uh, was doing something different. He was trying to augment the human mind. He was trying to build a set of technologies that would, um, that would al allow you know, humans to cooperate more quickly and, and invent things more efficiently. I've really struggled to try to understand what the relationship is between the use of psychedelic drugs by a small community of people during the 60s and the development of computer technology. And I'm, I'm still uncomfortable by saying one led to the other. It's clear to me, however, that they both emerged at the same time and there were aspects of each that resonated. Doug Engelbart had this idea about amplifying the human mind. The people who were exploring LSD during the 1960s wanted to expand the human mind. Those were very similar uh, ideas and the impetus was, was related. And they resonated back and forth. Um, and I think it's possible to say that, that each side drew on the other for sort of vision and inspiration. The threads that were emerging in California on the edge of the United States in the 60s led to both, and I think it's not a coincidence that both happened, uh, you know, within the space of five miles. The interesting thing about Engelbart is that he was willing to experiment with all kinds of ideas, um, from psychodrama to psychedelic drugs, uh, to uh, new, tech, new, new computer technologies, uh, to uh, ideas that were taken from Mao's Red Guards. And so it was a wild and unusual time. I mean, if you went into SRI back in the 60s, um, on one floor you'd have these guys with white shirts and pocket protectors who were designing smart missiles. And on Engelbart's floors, you'd have, uh, you know, oriental rugs and pillows and uh, yoga workstations and, uh, you know, wine and, and drugs in the, in the refrigerator. It's just a very different cultural atmosphere. And out of that um, uh, came most of the important ideas that would become personal computing. In uh, 1968, in December, Engelbart sort of brought everything that his research group had developed during the 60s together in one just amazing demonstration uh, that was given at Brooks Hall at the Joint Hall Computer Conference. Uh, and uh, he had a huge screen, uh, a video screen, which was very unusual at that point to, to have um, an interactive video screen. And he sat up on stage and he had a mouse in one hand, a keyboard. Um, he had a display for himself. He had this thing called a chord key set that allowed him to enter 
uh, textual information with his left hand while he was mousing with his right. And on the screen he had windows and hypertext and uh, all the visual stuff that would become sort of the modern computer interface. And you have to remember that at that time, um, computing was uh, not interactive. You would take your, your stack of cards and you would hand them to the sort of high priest of the data center. And Engelbart blew all that up. He showed a thousand of the best computer scientists in the country a very different model of computing. Um, and everything was different after that demonstration. It was called the mother of all demos. Uh, and what's significant is that um, a lot of his ideas emerged not just from sort of a pure set of a technology events, but from this, this real sort of open uh, exploratory group that he put together in the midst of um, both a political and uh, um, a drug counterculture.